Hello everybody. Um, today I'm going to be talking about the ending of To Kill a Mockingbird, so chapters 27 to 31. Um, this is significantly after the trial of Tom Robinson. Um, it's after Tom Robinson's um, really tragic death and it's also after that fantastic current events lesson where Scout's perceptions of Maycomb, um really become cemented and she realises that um, Maycomb's propensity to uh, persecute black people and member of the members of the black community um, and anybody who is seen as different is wrong and she does that by comparing um, the people who are subjugated in Maycomb to the Jews who are subjugated and persecuted or as um, they describe it prosecuted um, in Germany by Hitler and the Nazis so we have quite a change of perceptions there and then in 27 to 31 we have a lot of changing views so we've got making changing views on bob uh, and bob's bruised prize pride um and this sort of moral victory that although bob thought that he was going to be um elevated in society um during the trial actually he's really been brought down in society We've got Makeum's care of Helen Robinson um, and the fact that they start to, to look after the black community better. We've got uh, the climax of the novel, which is Bob's attack on the children. We've got the pageant where Scout dresses up as a ham, which is effectively a parody of Makeum and its fascinations with tradition. Um, we've got the changed perceptions of Makeum and its role of, as, as a community. Um, and Scout really see, starts to see how much of a family making is or can be. Uh, we've got the subversion of gothic tropes, so we've got tension and suspense building towards Bob's attack, um, but changing ideas about what fear is and what is to be feared. So we've got a reference back to that quotation at the beginning of the novel, Makum had recently been told that it had nothing to fear but fear itself, which is from Roosevelt's inaugural speech. Um, and at this point, I think what Lee is trying to get us to do is to question what should we fear? What actually is to be feared? Is it ghosts and malevolent phantoms or is it Makum's usual disease of prejudice? Is that what really is more to be feared than anything else? Um, we've also got changed perceptions of Boo, which links to that. So Boo is meant to be a phantom, a malevolent phantom, and yet by the end of the novel, he becomes the hero of it um, to an extent. We've got a change in Aunt Alexandra that she becomes much less traditional, much less um, static and staid and becomes much more sympathetic. Um, we've got another chance at justice when um, Heck Tate doesn't pursue Boo after Boo obviously stabs Bob in defence of the children. And of course, we've got the conclusion of the Bildungsroman. Um, this novel happens over several years um, and there's a link back to the beginning of the novel and it just shows how much the children overall have learnt. So I'm going to go over it bit by bit um, and I'll give you page numbers and references. So chapter 27, we have the foreshadowing of Bob's attack on the children, which bring, brings together the two stories. So you've got Boo's story, which begins the novel and ultimately ends the novel, and you've got Tom's story. So obviously Bob is... Um, attached to Tom's story in the trial but Boo is the one who kills Bob um, so it brings together the two mockingbirds and what's really quite satisfying I think is that one of the mockingbird kills um, the killer of the other mockingbird um, if you like to think of Bob as 
um, Tom's killer because he's the one who gets him convicted. Um, and we have quite a lot which really ridicules Bob Ewell and makes him into the antagonist even more in chapter 27. So, for example, halfway down the page, he was the only man I ever heard of who was fired from the WPA for laziness. Um, and Mr Ewell found himself as forgotten as Tom Robinson. So we see his laziness in total contrast to the Cunninghams. Um, and we've got those two those two families who are affected by the Great Depression. But whereas the father of one is really lazy, the um, the father of the other won't accept um, any uh, help without giving gifts. So Lee is really showing you that you don't need to be rich in order to um, to be a good moral person. But Bob Ewell, of course, is not a good moral person. Um, then on page 274, we've got the foreshadowing of Bob's attack because he, um, or it's suggested that he uh, either burgles Judge Taylor's house or tries to attack Judge Taylor. Um, so Judge Taylor, um, his scratching noises coming from the rear of the house on page 274. Um, and Mrs. Taylor came home from church to find her husband in his chair uh, with a shotgun across his lap. So we get a th threat to Judge Taylor, who, of course, was the one who um, asked Atticus to defend Tom Robinson. So Bob is slowly attacking everybody who was associated with the case. Um, then we have Link Dees, who it says halfway down 274, made a job for Helen. Uh, so after Tom's death, we see Maycomb inhabitants starting to look after the Robinsons and making sure that the Robinsons can afford to live um, and even more um, the way that he treats Helen is very protective so Bob Ewell starts following Helen and growling at her and Helen doesn't feel able to go past the Yule place um, but Link D says to Bob Ewell now hear me if I hear one more peep out of my girl Helen about not being able to walk this road I'll have you in jail before sundown and Mr Link D spat in the dust and walked home that's the beginning of page 275 so we've got the sense that um, Link D's is really looking after Helen um, not just in the sense that he's giving her money but also in the sense that he is protecting her from um, from the threat of Bob uh, Yule. And I think it's interesting that Mr Link Dees spat in the dust and walked home because uh, Link Dees is doing what Bob did to Atticus but in a less aggressive way um, and it's this underlying threat that Maycomb's, um better inhabitants are going to protect their own um, their own kind as in Maycomb's kind um, and he says get your stinking carcass off my property. Um, what's also interesting is that um, Bob's response is, I ain't touched her link deeds and ain't about to go out with no N-word. Um, and we see that there is a kind of, um, there's a bit of a pride thing going on here, that Bob Ewell's um, pride's been injured in the suggestion that he's attracted to Helen Robinson, um, who's obviously black. And there's a comparison between Mayella being attracted to Tom here and Bob being attracted to Helen, um, which of course we know from Atticus's speech um, and from the trial is the worst thing you could be accused of really. Um, then it, it's made very clear that Bob's attacks are, are a foreshadowing of the attacks on Atticus when Aunt Alexandra at the end of 275 says, um, 
that man seems to have a permanent running grudge against everybody connected with that case. So there's a sense that um, Bob Ewell's been spurred on to um, repair his hurt pride by getting revenge on everybody associated with the case. And he really is um, the baddie. He really is the um, the only unlikable character in the novel, I think. Um, then there's a little bit about the Maruna tribe again on 276. And if you remember, the um, Aunt Alexandra and her circle um, talk about the Marunas. And it says that um, Scout's listening to Mrs Merriweather... And she said they had so little sense of family that the whole tribe was one big family. So they make it sound like the Marooners are um, are stupid to not have a sense of families in alienation from one another. But what's ironic is that um, there is quite a lovely idea there that this sense of the whole tribe or the whole community looking after one another and looking after one another's children is actually more or less what Maycomb is at its best. So Helen's children, as we see earlier, are cared for by the community. Atticus's children are also cared for by the community. So we've got all the mother figures in Calpurnia, Miss Maudie, um, Aunt Alexandra, um, all of the characters within Maycomb who teach the children lessons and do care for them in their own ways. So... Again, we've got this parallel between the Maruna tribe as one big family and actually making community as one big family, which is um, exemplified when Boo saves the children later. Moving on. Um, on page 278, we have the beginning of the Halloween festivities. Um, so it says the high school auditorium would be open. There will be a pageant for the grown-ups, apple bobbing, taffy pulling, pinning the tail of the donkey for the children. So we've got this very traditional pageant that, um, that Maycomb are um, hosting for the very first time. And Miss Merriweather is the creator of this pageant and she calls it Maycomb County Ad Astra Per Aspera. Uh, which means through the hardships to the stars, or as she explains it later, through the mud to the stars. Um, there's a kind of irony here because after the trial, the children recognise the flaws of their own town, that it's not to the stars. Um, it's not making people the best people, um, as Jem originally thinks. But the pageant is, as I said earlier, a real parody of Maycomb and its fascination with tradition. Um, and that's exemplified even further at the top of page 279, when um, it says that they're going to sing... The assembled company is going to sing, Making County, Making County, we will A, be true to thee, as the grand finale, and Mrs Merriweather would mount the stage with a state flag. Um, obviously, this is a symbol of uh, patriotism, um, but it's quite a humorous one. Um, and I think what Lee seems to be doing here is suggesting that the state flag is a symbol um, that making is the microcosm of um the the southern states um and that they are all very very proud of their their states and yet we see them now um as so flawed in the 1930s and the 1960s um so that's the that's the beginnings of the pageant which we'll come back to um then we've got another bit of foreshadowing 
at the back of two seven at bottom of two seven nine when Aunt Alexandra um stops speaking and she says, Oh nothing, nothing, somebody just walked over my my grave and she has a pinprick of apprehension. Um and we get the sense that Aunt Alexandra, because she's starting to care for the children, has this sense of foreboding. She knows that something's going to happen to the children. Um and we'll come back to that a bit later. Then on 280, at the end of chapter 27, um, Jem and Scout set off for the pageant on their own. And it's interesting that Atticus and Aunt Alexandra don't go. And it's suggested that they just think it's going to be stupid and boring, which it is in the sense that particularly Scout falls asleep during it. But the last line of that chapter is, thus began our longest journey together. Um, so Jem and Scout's longest journey together, I think this is um, symbolically a long journey, this this sense of the Bildens Roman, that this is their most significant moment where they look after each other um, and when they learn new things. Um, so it's not, not literally the longest, but in terms of significance and psychologically long-lasting um, effects, it is the longest. So we get a changing perspectives of the Radley house. Um, it's no longer um, an object of fear or threat um, at the beginning of... Um, chapter 28 um, where it says the street light on the corner sh- cast sharp shadows on the Radley house and just above that it says there was no moon so in chapter 28 we go back to this sense of the gothic the southern gothic um, but whereas the house looks creepy and sinister and there's no moon um, Scout says it's a scary place ain't it Boo doesn't mean anybody any harm, but I'm right glad you're along. So this is Scout's changing perceptions of the Radley place and of what fear is. And she says, Boo doesn't mean anybody any harm. So she's starting to develop a sense of empathy that she realises that Boo isn't a malevolent phantom who eats squirrels and freezes azaleas. Um, He's actually just a harmless being, which obviously Lee develops by the end. Um, And this whole chapter is really building tension towards the attack and it's very um gothic so lee really uses gothic tropes in um the chapter so halfway down 281 um it was pitch black um and then cecil jacobs jumps out at them so at the end of 281 it says um someone leaped at us and cecil's attack is unthinking um cecil's meant to be quite a silly character but it does create a sense of foreboding um, that they are being jumped out at, they're being attacked by him. Um, halfway down 282, it says he had given us a fright and he could tell it all over the schoolhouse that it was his privilege. So we've got a contrast between this silly, childish threat and attack and Bob's very real one, which is approaching. Um, and at the top of 283, they go into the House of Horrors, Um, which scared us not at all, it says. So the Halloween festivities are not terrifying. They're not scary because the children have learned what is and isn't to be feared. Um, So the Halloween activities are in total contrast again with what happens later. Then we've got the pageant. So at 284, on 284 at the top, um, Mrs. Uh, Miss Merriweather says, Macon County, Ad Astra Per Aspera. That means uh, from mud to the stars. 
And it really is the white history of Meikun. Um, and it's meant to be something that they're proud of. And yet it's quite ridiculous. So it says halfway down 284, she chanted mournfully about Macon County being older than the state, that it was part of the Mississippi and Alabama territories, that the first white man to set foot in the virgin forest was the probate judge's great-grandfather, five times removed, who was never heard of again. Then came the fearless Colonel Macon, for whom the town was named. Um, so Macon, Colonel Macon is meant to be fearless. Um, and yet um, it says a little further down, his orders relayed to him by a friendly Indian runner, were to move south. After consulting a tree to ascertain from its lichen which way was south, um, Colonel Makum set off on a purposeful journey to route the enemy and entangle his troops so far northwest in the forest pre uh, primeval that they eventually res rescued by settlers moving inwards. So as the white history of Makum County, uh, Makum, Colonel Makum is made to seem like quite an idiot. He doesn't know his, uh, his county, he doesn't know the geography of it, um, he is told by a friendly Indian runner um, where to go, and he takes no notice of that. So the history, uh, of, this is really the history of Makum's lack of moral direction and stubborn ignorance, um, which is what holds them back, that idea that people move slowly then, people are too traditional, they, they don't listen, they have no um, kind of sense of morals whatsoever. So it's quite interesting the, the description of the pageant and it seems like she's just put the description of the pageant in there for no reason but I think it is quite significant because making is very much ridiculed um and then we've got that adorable bit where um scout comes on stage late because she falls asleep and she's a bit of a renegade which is scout all over really um and then she gets embarrassed and Jem comforts her um and they start off home together and at the top of 286, it says, it was still black dark. Um, and Jem says, here, Scout, let me hold on to your hock. You might lose your balance. So Jem is protecting Scout here. Um, and he does that even more later on on the page when it says, I felt his finger press the top of my costume too hard, it seemed. I shook my head. Jem, you don't have to. Um, and we get the sense that Jem is afraid. Jem realises there's a sense of growing danger. Um, and he says, thought I heard something. Stop a minute. So we've got this echo of Judge Taylor hearing the noises um, in his basement um, and there's a gothic sense of threat which builds for the next few pages. Um, so Scout says, Jem, are you trying to scare me? You know I'm too old. Um, and again, it was the supernatural that scared Scout and Jem before, which was unrealistic, this idea of a malevolent phantom. And now it's society, now it's... Um, the real threat of Bob and his vengeance, or the real threat that somebody um, out there is actually going to attack them, that is um, is the thing to be scared of. So um, then they start shouting, thinking it's Cecil, calling him a, a hen. Um, and at the top of 288, Scout asks, Jem, are you afraid? And we've got a real sense of tension building because we know that Scout becomes afraid. Um, and there's things like halfway down 288, maybe it was a wind rustling the trees, there wasn't any wind and there weren't any trees apart from the big oak, and we hear the noises of Bob Ewell moving, whoever it was wore thick cotton pants, and I thought, what I thought were trees rustling was a soft swish of cotton on cotton, weak, weak with every step. So it's a very slow build towards 
Bob's attack. Um, and he remains unnamed. And I think there's something to be said for the Gothic trope of the fear of the unknown here, that they don't actually know who it is who's trying to attack them yet. Um, and they call him Shufflefoot. Shufflefoot had not stopped with us this time. His trousers swished softly and steadily. He was running, running towards with no child's steps. And um, Scout screams, run, Scout, run, uh, Gem screams, sorry, run, Scout, run, run. So this is the climax when we've got the build-up of tension and suspense towards Bob's attack. And then they run away, or they run from him. Um, and at the top of 289, there's more scuffling, and there came a dull crunching sound, and Jem screamed. And obviously this is Jem trying to protect Scout and breaking his arm. Um, and then uh, Scout sank, sinks into a flabby male stomach. Um, so this is Bob Yule. And he slowly squeezed the breath out of me. Um, he, then suddenly he was jerked backwards and flung on the ground, almost carrying me with him. So Scout is very, very nearly um, badly hurt. Um, and the, the suddenly, uh, the being jerked backwards suddenly is um, Boo attacking Bob Yule. And we hear then there, there's a man breathing heavily, breathing heavily and staggering. And we find out later that Boo is quite weak. He's quite fragile. Um, and the attack on Bob and the protection of the children is quite a task for him. Um, and yet, like the man, um, like the, the ambiguity of the way that um, Scout describes Bob, we've also got ambiguity in how he describes, she describes Boo. Um, and it says, he began moving around as if searching for something. I heard him groan and pull something heavy along the ground. We still don't entirely know what's happening because Scout doesn't entirely know what's happening. But essentially what's happening is that Boo is pulling Bob's dead body away from the children. Um, so Bob is dead so there's a kind of moral victory here that Tom is dead but so is Bob um, he's got his comeuppance for what he's done um, and we start to realise who it was at the top of 290 when Je Scout says I smelled stale whiskey um, we also get this, a sense of who Boo is a little way down when it says the man was walking with staccato steps of someone carrying a load too heavy for him um, so the staccato steps, this kind of fragility and smallness of Boo in contrast to Bob. And he's carrying Jem, Jem's arm dangling crazily in front of him. And Jem's broken arm um, actually opens the novel. So if you look back at the beginning of the first chapter, it says, when he was nearly 13, my brother Jem got his arm badly broken at the elbow. Um, that seems insignificant at the end of the novel, but when we get to here, we realise that um, this is the ending because uh, this is how Jem gets his arm broken through Bob. Um, and we get more about who Boo is and what Boo is when it says light from our front door framed Atticus for an instant. Um, and Atticus says someone's been after my children. Um at the top of 291, Aunt Alexandra's fingers trembled as she wound, unwound the crushed fabric and wire around me. Are you all right, darling? She asked over and over as she worked me free. Now, as I said earlier, there's a real change in Aunt Alexandra here. Um, she has gone from um, wanting Scout to uh, wear adipearl necklaces um, and to be a ray of sunshine in her father's lonely life um, and being quite traditional and quite strict about wanting Scout to be a lady to being quite motherly, quite maternal. She's now more caring. 
So the fact that she says darling and she keeps repeating it, you're right, darling, no darling, put these on darling. And what's even better and a fantastic moment in the novel, I think, is when um, auntie brought me my overalls halfway down 291. So instead of bringing her a dress to change into instead of her ham costumes, she costumes, she brings her the overalls. So she's accepting Scout for who she is. And again, we have this sense of the children are learning about adults and about how to um, walk around in someone else's skin. But the adults are also learning from the children how to be better people. It's a really, really sweet moment. Um, and then moving on um, to the top of 293. Um, like I said, we get more of a sense of who Boo is. But Scout doesn't quite click here. She says, the man who brought Jem in was standing in the corner leaning against the wall. He was some country countryman I didn't know. Um, and then it says he must have heard our screams and come running. Um, and then it says halfway down the page, I wonder, wondered why Atticus had not brought a chair for the man in the corner. So she really doesn't realise who it is until um, the next chapter. Um, and then in chapter 29, um, it says at the top of the page, uh, sometimes... Somehow I could think of nothing but Mr. Bob Yule saying he'd get Atticus if it took him the rest of his life. And it effectively has taken Bob Yule the rest of his life. Um, his death is the end of that threat. His death is kind of symbolic in the sense that it's the death of uh, making his usual disease. It's the death of prejudice and threat and malevolence. Um, and Hectate says he's good and dead. He won't hurt these children again. Um, so... Not that anyone's death is ever a good thing, but in a way you could definitely see Bob Ewell's death as symbolic of um, the death of of evil, the death of um, malevolence. Um, then Scout crawls into Atticus's lap, um, so she still looks for, to him for protection. Um, and they discuss how the attack happened. Um, and on 296... Uh, Hectate realises that the reason Bob Yule has um, sleeves perforated with little holes and puncture marks on his arms is because um, Scout's costume has been protecting her. So it does suggest here how close Bob Yule got to really harming Scout. Um, and he says this thing probably saved her life. So there's the sense that Bob Yule's threat, not only on Tom Robinson and on Helen, is real, but on the children is very, very real. Um, and Hectate says, Bob Yule meant business. This is halfway down 296. Um, he wasn't crazy mean as hell. He'd never have met you face to face. Now he's talking to Atticus here. Um, and Atticus thinks that, um, that, Tom, that, that Bob was going to attack him. So he says at the end of the page, I thought he got it all out of him the day he threatened me. Even if he hadn't, I thought he'd come after me. And it's interesting that he goes after Judge Taylor, he goes after Helen, but he won't go after Atticus. And the way that Hectate explains it is at the top of 297 when it says he had guts enough to pester a poor coloured woman, he had guts enough to pester Judge Taylor. Um, so do you think he'd have met you in your face in daylight? Um, so the suggestion is that he didn't have the guts to attack Atticus directly. Because even though, as the children um, say... Atticus is feeble, he's nearly 50, he can't play football anymore. Atticus is still a 
very, very powerful man, not just because he's one shot Finch, but because he has the power of the community. Um, and then we get Scout's realisation of who saved her. Um, and she says, Mr Yule was trying to squeeze me to death, I reckon. Then somebody yanked Mr Yule down. Somebody was staggering around. And she doesn't yet know who he is. And then at the bottom of page 297, it says, why there he is, Mr Tate. He can tell you his name. Now, I think this is really significant and symbolic because whereas the children call him Boo, um, Arthur Radley Boo, at the beginning of the um, novel, now Scout is giving over that power to, of name to Arthur Radley. So instead of making him into, into a malevolent phantom, she's starting to recognise him and, and give some kind of agency to him. He can tell you his name. Um, but she still doesn't realise who he is. And then at the top of 298, she describes that he has white hands, sickly white hands that had never seen the sun, so white they stood out garishly against the dull cream wall in the dim light of Jem's room. And sickly white hands, so white they stood out. Um, there is a sense of the ghostly about, about um, Boo or Arthur here, but it's more the sense that he's a victim than a phantom at this point. Um, and Scout doesn't necessarily start feeling sorry for him, but she does start protecting him, which is really, really sweet. And at the end of that chapter, she gazed at him in wonder and the tension slowly drained from his face. His lips parted into a timid smile and our neighbour's image blurred with my sudden tears. Hey, boo, I said. Uh, subjectively, this is one of my favourite parts of the novel. Because we see the scare, bet the, the care, sorry, between Scout and Boo, despite never having officially met before. Um, and despite the fact that Scout initially thought that he was a malevolent phantom who ate, um, ate squirrels and froze azaleas. So now she recognises his part in the community, particularly his part in caring for her. And at the end of chapter 30, um, Atticus says, this is Mr Arthur Radley, I believe he already knows you. And I think the word, the word knows is so significant here. If you think about earlier on when it says Atticus knew his people and they knew him. Knowledge of somebody with that empathetic lens is one of the main, uh, one of the key messages of the novel that you really need to try and know people. You really need to get inside their shoes, walk around in their shoes um, and find empathy if you are going to be a good person like Atticus is. Um, and like Miss Maudie, Boo has watched the children grow up. He knows them. He, um, He's aware of what they're like. And we see right at the end of the novel that he has been able to watch them and observe them playing um, for their entire lives. Um, and that sense of empathy that, that Scout feels towards Boo is um, exemplified further on page 299, halfway down. When she says, I wondered why Atticus was inviting us to the front porch instead of the living room. Then I understood the living room lights were awfully strong. So Scout understands Boo's shyness and his anxiety and the fact that he's used to being in the dark um, and he doesn't like being in the light. And Atticus is sensitive to that and now so is Scout. And she says, come along, Mr Arthur. You don't know the house real well. I'll just take you to the porch. So again, really lovely moment where Scout's developing a level of empathy for, for Boo that 
pretty much equals Atticus's. Um, then we've got a conversation between Atticus and Heck, where Atticus initially thinks that um, Jem has killed Bob and she, he doesn't want Jem to um, live his life being uh, a criminal, but he also doesn't know how to get Jem off. Um, so he, he says, um, of course, it was clear for self-defence, but I'll have to get to the office and hunt up. And then on at the end of 300, he says, nobody's hushing this up. I don't live that way. So his morals very much, um, very much uh, matter within his own family as well. He doesn't want Jem to, um, to have a guilty conscience and he doesn't want Jem to get off just because he's Atticus Finch's son. But Hectate is very insistent that on uh, 301 halfway down Bob Ewell fell on his knife he killed himself um and there's a there's a moment between them where uh Atticus's stubbornness um makes him believe that Jem is responsible and what we start to realize is that actually Boo's responsible but Hectate is a symbol of justice here really because Heck insists that Bob Ewell fell on his knife um and I guess the point here is that because Boo only had good intentions, because he is a mockingbird, he shouldn't pick up the slack or pick up um, any accusations um, and be punished for killing somebody in defence of other innocent victims. Um, and it's, it finishes on page 302 when um, Hectate says in italics, God damn it, I'm not thinking of Jem. Um and he's kind of playing the system, but it's there's the sense of that it's it's circumstantial that he can prove as the sheriff that Bob Yule fell on his knife and therefore nobody is culpable, nobody's to blame for um Bob's death. Then moving on to the end of chapter thirty, um this carries on the idea of justice. So it says there's a uh, black boy dead for no reason, and the man responsible for it's dead. Let the dead bury the dead at this time, Mr Finch. Let the dead bury the dead. Um, so Bob protected the children. He prevented them from dying. Um, and there's a really beautiful moment at the end of this chapter where um, Atticus stops in front of Boo Radley and says, thank you for my children, Arthur. And again, Boo becomes the hero here. He's protected the children. He's done justice where the courts couldn't. So that's really lovely. Um... And then finally, chapter 31. Um, this is where Boo and Scout are holding hands and Boo Radley shuffled to his feet. Light from the living room windows glistened on his forehead. Obviously, Boo has been kept in the dark, literally and metaphorically, up until now. But the the windows glistening on his forehead are a bit like that section where Scout jumps out of a um, circle of dirty uh, dark bodies into a circle of light. Um, light is can be seen as a symbol of goodness and justice here. Um, and Bob, uh, Boo, Boo never really says anything. He's very fragile. It says he was so shaken. Um, but Scout seems instinctively um, to intuit what he needs. So she says, you'd like to say goodnight to Jem, wouldn't you, Mr Arthur? Come right in. It's very important that her the way she speaks to him changes here. Um, she's instinctive, she's empathetic, she knows that he wants to say goodnight to Jem, that they are now sort of his children, he's responsible for their lives. Um, 
And again, we get the sense that her her perspective has, of him have changed on page 305 when it says, a hand surprisingly warm for its whiteness. So despite that ghostiness of his hand, it's warm, it's, um, it's protective, it's, um, it's loving. Um, and Boo becomes much more childlike here. So at the top of 306, it says an expression of timid curiosity was on his face, as though he'd never seen a boy before. So he now views the children with the curiosity that they used to view him. He has this childlike innocence um, when looking at them. And Scout finds herself explaining. So she becomes the adult in this uh, protective situation. He protects her, but now she protects him too. Um, then she takes him back to his house and she almost sees inside the Radley place, um, but doesn't quite. What she does see is things from his point of view, and this is how the novel ends. Um, it says that she turned to go home. This is page 307. I turned to go home. Street lights winked down our uh, street all the way to the town. I'd never seen our neighbourhood from this angle. So this is the, um, the personification of stepping in someone's shoes and walking around them in them for a while. She's standing on Boo's front porch, watching the neighbourhood from his angle, seeing things from his point of view, from his perspective. Um, and effectively, she retells the entire novel from his point of view. So daylight, um, it was summertime, two children scampered around, the man waved, so this is Atticus. Um, the children came closer. Um, they were enacting a little drama of their own invention. She's now gone into third person, flipping the perspective um, to a more detached outsider's view of what the children have done but this is this is Boo's view so it finishes the novel looking at things from a different perspective looking things from at things from the perspective of this malevolent phantom um and at the end of the the third person story it said Boo's children needed him um so it's this is a really lovely bit because he sees the children as him, his to protect, his to look after, his to give presents to. Um, and she concludes with Atticus was right. One time he said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on the Radley porch was enough. So this is the overriding message of the novel, that you need to see things from different perspectives um, in order to learn. Um, and this brings the Bildungsroman to an end because it said, I felt very old. There wasn't much else left up for us to learn. This is all at the top of page 308. So there's a circular narrative. Um, she has learned everything that she feels she needs to learn about Meikun. Um, and she's grown up and, um, and started to understand the world from a very different perspective. Right at the end of the novel, uh, there's this bit about the grey ghost, which is the book that Jem's reading at the beginning of the novel and Atticus has picked it up and she says read it out loud please Atticus it's real scary um and then she says besides nothing is real scary except in books and there's an irony here because she doesn't she's not afraid anymore of anything she's not afraid of malevolent phantoms but she's also not afraid of um prejudice she's not afraid of what people can do because she knows I suppose that people can be good and that they will be protected. Um, 
And then right at the end, they're talking about The Grey Ghost, which is the book that Atticus is reading, that Gemma's reading earlier. Um, this is a book for children from the 1930s about a young boys club. Um, and she sort of retells the story of the young boys club um, and the grey ghost that they're chasing. And she says right at the end of the novel, and they chased him and never could catch him because they didn't know what he looked like. And Atticus, when they finally saw him, while he hadn't done any of those things, Atticus, he was real nice. And it's ambiguous here whether she's talking about the grey ghost or whether she's talking about Boo. Um, and again, there's this removed perception, perspective of um, of the grey ghost as somebody who was just real nice in the same way that Boo was just real nice. And Atticus's reply is, most people are scout when you finally see them. And again, we have this idea of knowledge that when you see somebody, when you know somebody and you understand and have empathy for them, um, you can see that people are nice, that folks is folks, that um, everybody has a good element to them. Even people like Mrs. DeBose, who initially seems scary, or Boo, who initially seems like a malevolent phantom. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you've enjoyed my 41 minutes on the end of To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs>